How's it going, everybody? I hope you're having an amazing day. Welcome or welcome back to the Inner Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Travis McKenzie, and this episode of the show is from day six of the I'm Curious to Know Project, a series of daily interviews that are occurring every single day in May. Yes, every day. I know. I might have bitten off more than I can chew, but it's also allowed me to have incredible conversations with incredible people, and today's discussion is no different. I'd be lying if I said I didn't look up to Caitlin Looney Landersburg. I mean, who wouldn't? She founded Sufferfest Beer Company, which means unlimited access to beer. She's also a trail runner, donkey racer, and a mom to two amazing kids. She's also married to Stu, who, in his own right, is changing the world with his own rapidly growing company, Grove Collaborative. But, as we all know, starting and growing a brand is never a linear journey. And that's what today is about. Diving in to learn how Sufferfest's debut appearance was at Caitlin and Stu's wedding, where she brewed a batch for her friends, all the way through to selling her business to Sierra Nevada, a huge beer conglomerate in a few short years. I've been a fan of Caitlin for years, and today's discussion has only solidified that. I know you'll enjoy this one. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited to be here for the sixth day in a row for the I'm Curious to Know project, a project that I started because I wanted to have interesting conversations with interesting people from the endurance sports world. And today's guest is definitely interesting, has an amazing, amazing story to share. She may be humble as well, so we'll try and pull that out of her. But uh, I want to introduce Caitlin Looney Landisberg. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that uh, that you're here. It's good to see you again, live and well from the depths of parenthood. Parenthood. Holy. So this is, I was mentioning to you before the show, you're the first parent uh, I've had on the show. So we have this solidarity clause. We're, we're in this together. already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're commiserating. So I, I know that we'll, uh, we'll we'll get to that, but I do want to apologize. First off, when I was with Ryan and Des Linden, I was able to have their product and placement in and, and drink a delicious Linden by two coffee. Two days ago, I had Kevin Rutherford on the show from Noon Hydration. So I was sipping on my Noon. I had every single intention of having a Sufferfest beer with me, but for two reasons, it didn't happen. First reason is we've stopped drinking during the week. Second reason is our local store, our total wine store here close by is out of stock. I couldn't even get it if I wanted it. Oh, I'm um, sorry about that. No, no apologies necessary. We did run out of stock. Our supply chain is back, but we should be, we should have shipped you beer anyway. So um, I'm equally at fault there and we'll get you, we have brand new beer and so, and new packaging and I, I will make sure to, to get you the works because I'm, I'm proud of you though, that you're taking it easy on the week and resetting and having yep. something to look forward to on the weekends. It's a nice ritual. So I'm, I'm into that. Well, it's new because the first four weeks, I think it was like, what day is it? Okay. It's right. one, one o'clock. And then it was to the point where second coffee in is it is it okay to crack open a bottle of wine or have right. a beer at lunchtime we've, we've moved past that which is good i alluded to the fact in the show notes and before the show but you are the founder of self-professed beer and i want to hear how the heck did you come up with this idea the beer market is oversaturated as it is like what were you thinking and then right. how did how did it come to life i want to hear the nuts and bolts of bringing a brand bringing a product to market and the roller coaster journey that you've been on in the years since Thank you. I appreciate the question so much. And I appreciate you having me. It's a funny story because I still consider it a happy accident. Um, I totally mm -hmm. agree with you. I mean, everything that I as a lay person would know about the beer industry is that it's totally busy and totally saturated and that I have no way of 
butting myself into that landscape. Um, but I wasn't really meaning to, I sort of found myself there. So I think that was actually a, a good difference that I had, but essentially um, I'll try to be as succinct as possible with sort of how this came about. I've always considered myself an athlete. I've always sort of I've come from a family. My dad used to say a family that sweats together, stays together. I grew up playing sports and, um, team sports in high school, I played college tennis. And I, I left, I left school and came back to the Bay Area where I grew up and realized court time um, was too expensive for a, a young 20 something. And I certainly couldn't do that and leave my day job to, to find a, a court that was available in San Francisco. And a good friend of mine, Eric said, you know, invest in some running shoes. It's the only equipment you need. We were, we're right in the backyard of, of the Marin Headlands. And let me show you a little bit about trail running. And I had never even occurred to check out these beautiful hundred mile systems right in our backyard in San Francisco called the Marin Headlands. And I joined Eric one day on a, um, a club run with his club, his long distance club called the Endurables. And we went up to the Marin uh, trail system. I think I ran the longest I'd ever run in my life that morning. And I just, just became instantly addicted into uh, what it meant to start meandering through the trails, getting lost, seeing how far I could go, just the the whole community of endurance trail just sunk into me. As I started running and, and becoming more prolific in terms of my racing and competing over the years, every finish line seemed to have a beer at the end. And I didn't really think about it. You do, you got your kind of commemorative pint glass and someone pour you whatever was available and you drink it. And yeah. as I became more focused on my diet and what I was putting into my body and what my recovery looked like, you know, I'd be having these beers and they'd be way too alcoholic and I, I'd literally fall over <laughs> or, or they just wouldn't agree with my stomach because I was really focused on having or avoiding gluten at the time. And I mean, there was all these things that I said, gosh, if I could just figure out how to make kind of the finish line beer, I'd be a lot happier. And I'd, I'd love to commiserate. I'd love to talk about the, the suffer fest at the finish line. But, but right now I just got to go home and, and get my own liquid, my own celebratory beer. So I kind of complained a bunch to my friends and my boyfriend at the time. And um, sort of half jokingly, he got me a, a home brewing kit and a, a beer making course in San Francisco in the winter of 2012 for my birthday. I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of like becoming a craft brewer or starting yeah. to make different beers at home. I was really thinking about beer through the lens of an athlete and a runner who really sort of wanted to crack the code of, can I have my beer and drink it too? Can I celebrate with something that really agrees with my nutritional needs, my values, and someone who just wants to celebrate without settling kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I thought, you know, what would Cliff Bar do if they wanted to make a beer? What would, you know, Noon do if they were making a beer? Some of my favorite endurance and, and athletic brands out there already in the nutrition space. And so that was sort of the twinkle in my eye. My beer making courses evolved to more beer courses at UC Davis. And that's where I stumbled into food science and sort of wizard brainiac beer makers who helped me think about ingredients that would be more soluble in beer, but reflect yeah. kind of the lifestyle of healthy and active and, and all those things. So ultimately, after a couple of years, I ended up making a, a Pilsner, my first sort of 
beer um, and I brewed it for my wedding. Alyssa was there at the wedding. And I remember saying yeah. to her, I'm going to take this beer. We're going to go places with it. And of course, it was sort of a drunken moment. But that was our, our flyby Pilsner, my, my baby today that we, we are is our number one selling beer. That was in 2015 when I got married to Stu, this, the same guy who got me the beer making kit. Everyone at the wedding actually was said, you know, I would drink, I would buy this beer. I would pay for this beer. And it was sort of the, the final kind of kick in the butts that I needed to say, I think more people might drink this than just me and my family. And, um, and two, as I was making this beer for just my run clubs and running friends, word caught on because I was working at Strava at the time that I was sort of bootlegging beer on the side designed for athletes. So everyone wanted a little taste. And I started getting a couple of requests here and there from race directors. And it was sort of an awkward situation at Strava. So it was 2015 when I said, let's, let's, let's try this. My um, husband, Stu, and I had just gotten married, so I got on his healthcare plan. Yeah, <laughs> became the old ball and chain, and we time boxed. You know, six months is what I could sort of afford to not take a, a paycheck. I dived into a business plan, and I didn't even know that I had to get licensed. Like I had no idea what I was doing because I came from the tech world. We ended up licensing our little apartment in San Francisco, which was so awkward. We had police walking up and down it and surveying it. But I licensed our little our little apartment and started building a business out of our, our San Francisco apartment. Had the beer, had the branding. And then in uh, March of 2016, finally got licensed to sell it commercially. And yeah. my aspirations were very small. I wanted to basically have beer at our corner store. So after I ran, I could tell me, I could tell myself, I could tell, I could go and I could tell my friends where to get, you know, the flyby Pilsner. It was called Epic at that time, but it's now flyby. And that's all I wanted to do. As I started selling into my corner market, the market down the street wanted it and the market down that street wanted it. And I was, I found myself sort of walking the streets of San Francisco, batting a thousand. All these buyers wanted a beer like the one that we were offering. So that six months time box that I gave myself was enough time to really allow myself and the the team to understand that we were onto something. So that's sort of how it started. I get these feelings of, you know, when you, you see a band at a location or you see a show when they're just beginning before they get famous. And then you like tell your friends like, oh, I knew that band. I went and saw them when there was 12 <laughs> people in the crowd. That's the feeling I have for Sufferfest beer. I know that Lauren, my wife, and I came and visited you and Alyssa when you yeah. had this tiny little office. And I was so, so excited for what you were doing. And, you you know, Alyssa shipped me some product. I'd signed up for uh, a race Ironman Texas. So she sent out some some beer for me to help celebrate and recover with. We also, I was a part of the Everman Jack team at the time. Um, right. And you guys right. sent me product oh, yeah. for our camp, our, our Las Vegas camp that we had. Uh, and it was a massive hit. Activation. And I remember Lisa and I like jumping up and high-fiving. We're like, we're on Instagram. Triathletes are <laughs> drinking our beer. And I remember that very distinct moment. This is kind of like my memories from back in the day yeah. when you guys first started. So I've been so proud to see the journey from there. You talked about batting a thousand. You gave yourself six months. You know, six months is on. You're high-fiving each other. You're saying, we're going to do this. Yeah. Tell me about what happens from there. There's roller coasters of we're going to do this. And then the next day is like, am I crazy? What am I doing here? I'm sure right. there has been so many up and downs. And I want to hear some of that journey as well. In some ways, it was perfect that I named the company Sufferfest Beer Company because like, that's all it's been. And I think anyone in CPG, any startup, but especially CPG, where you're dealing with supply chain and so many other people that you don't know that that are responsible for every component of the business. Like, 
more bad things happen than good things. Like basically you survive and, and if like you can make it through enough storms, you can get to the next rung or the next level yeah. of sales. And I mean, that's really how we were defined was not like our, our performance and our positive moments, but can we literally figure out a last ditch effort to get through um, this next problem. Um, and that's basically what it was from pretty much day one. When we launched in March, we kind of went up and down the streets of, of San Francisco and thought, you know, let's get like 10, 20 accounts and, you know, yeah. kind of make it a cool club or whatever. You know, by May, we had signed up every Whole Foods in Northern California and we had regional programs. And I remember that first week, I thought I was going to deliver the beer myself in my Prius on Tuesdays and Fridays. And on day two, I knew that wouldn't work. <laughs> so we had to find like a delivery service and figuring out like how to store our beer in a third party to have picked up by the next um, delivery service and plugging the dates in at a certain time and getting that figured out. We um, never had a tap room. And I never wanted to do that because I, I I really wanted to prove out that concept that there could be a a beer focused on a healthy and active lifestyle that really understood the needs of an athlete. I've always thought like I'm I'm not gonna ask our community to come to us on a Saturday when they're out there mm -hmm. like crushing their day. I want a virtual tap room. I want to go to them in situ and find them at the trailhead, find them at the crag, you know, and and deliver beer at their sweatiest moment. And that that's always been why you, you sort of find us at a, a finish line. But for that reason, we've never had like an on-premise location in a place where we're owning our own brewing production. We've always outsourced my recipes and then again, activated that supply chain to make sure everything's packaged and in the right places for delivery. And so we would get, you know, uh, some great orders and some huge high five moments with, with all these new accounts that we're ordering. And then our third party brewer would say, you know what, actually, I forgot to order the hops this month. Um, can't yeah. make a beer. <laughs> and I would send out like a back call to the Brewers Guild in San Francisco and say, does anyone please have you know, citra hops, this many pounds, I, I can pick it up tonight. I was driving around, I remember driving to Tahoe once for a certain yeah. kind of yeast and overnight to come back to, to get it to a brewer in time. Like it really, it really demanded so much teamwork and collaboration between a whole network of brewers to help us in times of need. It just sort of went on and on, you know, and then cans would be delivered and half of them would have spilled at, at delivery and we have to to um you know make make up for that and do a make good one of our key values for our whole company is we go the extra mile it defined sufferfest and literally team members as we grew were going to the far reaches of the planet and back to help a buyer who didn't get the right order or accidentally you know broke some cans or, you know, we, we missed um, a delivery date, we would do everything in our power to make sure one, they never knew that there was a problem in the first place, but we'd always make it right. And I think our buyers really saw that we were different. In many ways, we didn't belong in the beer business. We were a team of athletes, just really sweating our way through a business and wanting to deliver a great product. And I think that in many ways, those buyers wanted us to succeed and wanted to give us second and third chances. I thought, I mean, a lot of them thought that what we were doing was probably good for, for the industry and um, to have sort of this gluten removed, non-conventional, extraordinary beer out there that really focused on, you know, a, a better for you moment. I think uh, we got a lot of support from people who probably would have 
turned their backs on us far sooner. I think everyone yeah. wanted to see where this was going. So I definitely think we got a lot of help. We had so many disastrous moments. It's it's unthinkable. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's too many to count. You did touch on the uh, gluten removed and Jim had a great comment. He he said, wait, are all stuff best beers gluten-free? Also, thanks for the beer. I've got the Kolsch in the fridge right now. And I think that's uh, been, shout out to Jim. Um, I think that's been really interesting thing that I've seen develop over time and in conversation with you that, in the beginning, it was you were very proud of the gluten removed kind of status. A lot of people were surprised that it actually tasted delicious and the beer was great and it, it and it worked the way that beer should. So tell me about that. And, I, and I'll kind of go ahead and, and skip ahead a little bit and to know that now you don't even really need to talk about the, the liquid stands for itself um, as is. So tell us about kind of how that journey developed and evolved over time. All of our beers from day one in perpetuity, they will for selfish reasons are gluten removed. They um, are lab tested every single batch at under, at under 10 parts per million gluten. I think from a scientific or academic perspective, I mean, this is untraceable. The enzyme that we use in our beer um, is so effective that the prolamin protein that is that does give us our sensitivity, if you do have a gluten sensitivity, really can't exist with this enzyme. So, you know, for my coursework, it's actually the most effective way to, pr to produce gluten-free beer, but it's been made with barley like any other conventional yeah. beer. So we don't label it gluten-free. It's not, it's gluten removed before this wonderful food science um, epiphany that we've had with this, this enzyme called Brewer's Clarex. And Clarex has been used in beer for eons and eons to help with refinement and clarity, but at a certain pitch rate, at a certain ratio, it attacks this prolamin protein during fermentation, which allows the beer to render as a, a, a totally drinkable um, and satisfying beer um, that is gluten removed and you wouldn't know it otherwise. So it really has been a miracle for people like me that avoid gluten. Some people do it for dietary reasons. Some people do it for training reasons. I mean, it doesn't really matter why or how it, it really is a mainstream trend to avoid gluten and you have your own reasons, especially as someone who lives a healthy and active lifestyle and really cares about what they put in their body. Like it's table stakes. Mm -hmm. You don't need it. If, if you don't, if we can avoid it and still give you a really excellent craft beer, award-winning craft beer, then why put it in there? So, you know, it, it really is table stakes. So all of our beers are gluten removed. They're all batch tested. We're really proud of that, but we don't talk about it because again, we don't, there's been a stigma attached for many years. I think it's gotten a lot better that if something has been treated, you know, in some ways for a gluten-free or gluten removal aspect that it, it's going to be lacking. And we don't, we want people just to, to take our beer at face value and to never settle, regardless of whether it's gluten-full or gluten-free, and enjoy the very best products. And so my foundation to Sufferfest and a fundamental litmus test to putting any beer on the market was, I want my aunt to drink this, my mom to drink this, my, my brother, my uncle, my training buddies. I want people to drink the beer and just tell me it's a effing great beer and not mm. know anything about the fact that it's also helping people like me avoid what they don't want to be having in their diet. So... Yeah. I think we've done that. You know, the we have some great awards. We don't ever submit our beers as specialty beers. They they compete against the very best and the biggest brand names out there. And we win gold, silver, bronze, you name it. We've we've won them all almost across the board. So we're really proud of that. But we've also decided we're not gonna really talk about that. And I think it's a wise business decision as well. Like if you've got gluten removed or gluten-free, all of a sudden you're sitting in the back corner gathering dust because yeah. people aren't walking there looking for it. Now you can proudly stand side by side by any other 
craft brew or craft beer and outperform them um, time and time again. It's a, I think a bigger community of people who would be willing to try it. And like you said, there's no asterisks next to it. Just, you know, do your thing and don't feel like you're being singled out. So we don't want anyone to have that, that moment. I know you're very passionate about passionate about women in sport. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about some of the initiatives that you've released recently around women in sport and your fair play campaign and why that's so important to you as an athlete and a founder and all and a woman and all of those things. It's been really an interesting journey in beer and sports. I get the question mm-hmm. as sort of a beer owner or founder, you know, has it been really hard as a, a female in, in the business and, or do you feel really isolated or, and uh, I'm really surprised by my answer looking back, which is no, I actually think that there've been a lot of great business leaders who have been women in this community. And actually, as we, we built Sufferfest, everyone around me, not by choice um, necessarily, but everyone from my first canning line to my packaging to branding, they were all, um, other women owned companies that, that actually helped me build the infrastructure that produced Sufferfest. That was purely by accident. I think in many ways we rule the world and, and we do it in lots of different layers and ways. I certainly believe that from a finance side, fundraising and the ability to, to grow a business, I think there still definitely exists that glass ceiling um, that, that we haven't crossed that border when it comes to just sort of getting that awareness to get the capital. Um, so that was something I ran into. But Having said all that, I think actually the the, the beer world leaps and bounds um, in terms of recruiting and activating and exciting women and their skill set to really deliver on all sorts of aspects in this industry. Another example of that is we're, we're a B Corp um, and we're really proud to be a B Corp. And one of the ways we give back is monetarily through causes that we care about. And one of our, our causes is to raise awareness around, you know, recruitment for women in the beer business. And I remember talking to UC Davis saying, you know, I, I want to allocate some funds that Sufferfest has has earned and would like to allocate to a scholarship for females in the brewing school. And they even corrected me and said, actually, no, we we graduate 50-50 male and wow. female now. No need for that type of allocation, which was really <laughs> exciting to see. And um, even at Sierra Nevada now, um, you know, the, the workforce is very, very diverse in terms from scientists to brewers to environmentalists, you name it. So I've been really happy to see our industry. But on the sporting side, ironically enough, I, I finally continue to, to kind of be weighed down and, and, and pushed back a little bit by, you know, fellow female athletes that all kind of have these stories, all from different levels of, I think, pain and trauma and frustration from ageism to being sort of always qualified as a female, even if they win a race to yeah. pay all the elements that we're aware of. And, and I think obviously our enraptured nature and romance with the U.S. women's soccer team, you know, over the yeah. World Cup um, really brought to light just the insane amount of unfairness that is is out there alive and kicking today. And it was at that point when I realized that only 4% of all media expenditures are allocated to focusing on women's athlete, women's sporting teams and women and, and female athletes. And I thought, well, if, what can Sufferfest do, little old Sufferfest do to do to play any part in trying to to move that needle? Um, and certainly a, a slow burn um, campaign with our fair play campaign. This isn't sort of a one and done. We're going to try and yeah. match salaries and, and get, get out of here. But we want to continue to focus on highlighting stories 
and accomplishments and achievements that deserve to be told. Um, There's so many wins. There's so many great examples of sportsmanship, of achievement, of amazing moments of grit and accomplishment that females and female sport teams go through too, but no one ever sees it because there's just not enough people covering those stories. And so in December of last year, but we kicked it off January of this year, we've been hiring freelance journalists around the country to do their own muckraking and to uncover those athletes and those stories and those spokespeople that that really want to tell their story about you know what they're doing as athletes what they're doing as athlete moms what they're doing as athletes trying to help other athletes in other communities like it, it really it's it's multi-layered and multifaceted but we're really trying to be a news desk and a media channel to continue to help bolster all the great stuff that's going out there that that needs to be told. And we hope that in some ways, um, we can also, you know, use those stories to push policy change, um, and and help with larger, more meaningful mo- moments in, in this sort of this movement. And one policy change that's happened actually on our side, as we were looking at at our campaign and fair play was Sierra Nevada, our parent company now even looked at their own family leave policy um, mm-hmm. nationally and updated that. And we were really proud to see just even internally that I think if we can be responsible for having people and organizations take a deeper dive into you know what they stand for and sort of refresh it for a, a new modern world, then we're really proud to keep keep going. So yeah. Fair Play is, is one of our bigger initiatives this year. And, and I've just been so moved by uh, not just the reporters who've uncovered these stories, but actual athletes themselves that are written in saying, I want to tell my story. When I started in The Voice, my goal was to be equal representation because there are so many amazing stories that don't get told um, on both sides of the ledger, um, to be honest. And I think yeah. that that's been something that I've been really cognizant of, not simply because of the fact that I'm raising a daughter and I have an amazing wife who's an amazing athlete. I just think that more needs to be done. So that's a commitment. And I'd love to help bring some of those stories to life. Now you've, you've, you've alluded to Sierra Nevada, obviously a big moment in time where little old Suffer Fest is chugging along, doing amazing work, connecting yeah. with amazing athletes and selling in California and Oregon and Colorado. And I may have missed Washington and I've missed a couple probably, but then all of a sudden Sierra Nevada comes along and tell me about what that's been like to have your baby acquired by Sierra Nevada. Also another very happy accident. Um, Not anything that I was thinking we would do or um, was going to happen in our life cycle. Certainly not at this age. We're only four years old, but we got on a, a real amazing trajectory. And again, I didn't mean to to do anything disruptive in the beer industry. I just went out there trying to deliver on something I wanted myself for very selfish reasons. And it turns out there's like millions of people that are as selfish as me that are looking for something like this. So I think we disrupted really fast and we got a lot of great head tailwind. We had some headwind, of course, along the way, but we had a really big tailwind. We're just punching above our weight for as small as we were um, and got on a lot of radars really early. I didn't really ever think about the prospect of, of selling and, and joining anyone's larger family or a conglomerate. And I, and I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to, to get some really interesting inqu- inquiries on that front. As I was fundraising internally with our own investor group for our Series B, um, I ended up going to a conference, speaking at this conference, and I didn't even know all day long as I was sort of working away on my computer and, and, and getting ready to speak that the, the man next to me was the, the CEO of Sierra Nevada. Jeff White. And I went up to speak and then he went up to speak and then we both looked at each other and it was sort of this facepalm moment of, 
oh my God, like I want what you want. You want what I want. We should talk. We should talk. Sierra Nevada was just different from the moment that I met Jeff. Other conversations were that might have been around, you know, a larger uh, investment or something on the strategic side were very focused on structure and the transaction and how we were going to just sort of balls to the wall grow. And Jeff and I didn't really think about partnering at all. You know, he heard me speak and talk a little bit about how we really focus on putting our athletes first and serving athletes. And I heard him talk about how he, um, you know, focuses on brand building and making sure employees are number one and that the environment is number one. And, and it was just very mission driven and values aligned. And so he heard me talk a little bit about distribution and offered to help. And um, I, I needed help with that distribution. So we started just passing notes and, um, you know, exchanging tips and tricks on each other's strategy. And we really sort of discovered lightning in a bottle. I found my beer soulmate. He and I both, after a few conversations, sort of knew if we want, wanted to do something really meaningful, that we would go all in and show each other that we were committed by by joining the, the, the larger Sierra Nevada family. And overnight, yeah, from four states to um, every state in the union, essentially. So we're a national brand. I've always wanted to be one because I think because we focus on that sweaty consumer from day one, like from race directors and other athletes and people in our community, I would, you know, get these emails like, can you please get it for me so I can have it in my fridge after my first 10K? And, you know, like, God, I just, all I wanted to do was send beer all around the country for those stories. It's that ability now that People can get it when they want it exactly for those reasons is, is why we exist. We're an occasion brand. Uh, we're really focused on that moment of celebration after accomplishing something awesome. The fact that people can now do that, of course, we've, we, we did have some supply chain issues at the beginning of this crazy uncertain time that we have right now going on, but we're back in business there. But yeah, we're now in, in all those states. And, and now I can write back and say, you know, you know, look on the map, but I'm going to find you that Hy-Vee in, in North yeah. Carolina or in Iowa. And I'm going to find you um, that Whole Foods in Texas, like whatever, I will find you the store to pick up the beer um, and make sure that you get what you need when you want it. And it's, it's an amazing feeling. It, it just warms my heart every time I get that note. And I personally will go and ship them the beer if they need it at that point. But but it's been awesome. And it's been an overnight whirlwind. You shouldn't, you don't normally, I don't know what's normal, but craft beer doesn't grow nationally like that at that pace. And it yeah. shouldn't. I think people are really focused on their uh, on their hyper local loyal brands. And I think that's really been important to the movement of craft beer. But mm -hmm. I think because we've never focused on a location, we've always focused on that moment. Yeah, we can help foster those moments all around the country in really, I think, authentic ways. Yeah, I agree. I think you can build community in many different ways. Community can be a physical location that draws people in, or it can be an ethos and it can be a group of people getting together wherever they are to celebrate that moment. So you've done an amazing job of celebrating and growing that community. So hats off to you. I was also very proud to be able to bring Sufferfest beer to Maine as well and have it in the restaurant. So that was a a highlight to have the first uh, location in Maine to, to serve yeah. beer. And whenever I go to the local store that has it, uh, the Total Wines around the corner here, I'm, I am so proud to see it on the shelves and I like text a picture to Jesser or like, you know, tweet it or Instagram it or whatever. For you, like what was that moment where you first saw it in the wild, where someone's drinking Sufferfest that you didn't really know and you were like, hang on, wait a second, like this is really cool. I saw an Instagram about a 
FKT Growler pickup in Knoxville, Tennessee yesterday on Instagram. And I send it to all of my friends. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But it's so cool. I, I just floored every time. And I actually looking back at my phone sometimes when I'm scrolling through old photos, I have all these pictures of me and the first buyer who works that specific aisle at that specific store, either high-fiving or shaking hands or hugging. I've got like 50 of those because I just like, I'm, I keep pinching myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm at the umbrella store in Maine, right? Or I'm, um, yeah. I can't believe I went to Meyer in Michigan and there we were. And I, I freak out every single time. That's just not old for me. It never will. I always pinch myself and my family does too. And I have cousins that, you know, the, the beers finally just arrived in Manhattan and, and they're sending it to me. And every time it's like just candy. So, um, yeah. no, I just, I, I'm thrilled by it. I'm shocked by it. I, I just can't believe it really is a dream for me. Now we alluded to it at the beginning, working from home with kids. And I want to, uh, <laughs> preface this with saying that, uh, Lauren and my wife and I, we have couple goals when we see you and your husband you, you mentioned Stu he is the the co-founder or founder of uh, Grove Collaborative so we had a moment like six months ago I think where I sent you a message to say Lawrence just ordered from Grove we had no idea that it was Stu and this is I think I heard an ad or I read an article or something I'm like put it two and two together I'm like you guys are total couple goals with the way that you're approaching entrepreneurship but also parents and athletes and you're doing it all like tell me about what that's like what's that dynamic like in the house to have these rocket ships of companies that are growing and you've got a growing family and all of those things well I thought it was really hard before we had a global pandemic <laughs> now I just don't know you know something's got to give right you can't do everything yep. Stu and I met uh you know he had just started he had a, a lap, like a PowerPoint presentation of Grove when we met seven years ago. And so that that company has taken off and obviously consumes him. And then, of course, I went from Strava to starting Sufferfest to selling Sufferfest. And, and that's been a whirlwind. And so, gosh, I mean, obviously, he and, and you can speak to this firsthand, too. It's like it's a whole new definition in partnership because yeah. um, it, you really I have so much respect for parents everywhere. I will never judge any type of parenting style. Everyone is free to do whatever works for them. Um, but for us and certainly in this pandemic, it, it's it, like you can attest to it's just been this rotation. Uh, every night we sort of sit down and like review our calendars again of what meetings we have, which ones can be moved, which ones we can't move. And we're on this rotating schedule. You know, we will plan certain activities where I know I can sort of contain both the kids one and three right now, like on the grass for two and a half hours, enough time to get Stu, you know, a quick bike ride around the block. While that bike ride is like takes so much hard work and planning to, to get done so he can do like 16 miles on the bike he comes back like a whole new person and yeah. we, we laugh about you know we start as like a plus parents in the morning and by like <laughs> five we're like f minus <laughs> yeah but like you definitely can get from an f minus to like a b after a bike ride you just kind of can reset yeah. we know it's good for us we know it's good for our kids they are you know gorgeous cute, beautiful things. And like I said, th thank God they are because otherwise I would shake them. Um, and sometimes they really get on my nerves, but it's a special time despite it being so nuts. We certainly would never have this time ever again. So I think we're trying to, to practice some gratitude moments like that. I think the thing that has really dropped for both of us are just our, our, our friendships. You know, we live very yeah. like isolated kind of lonely lives. I think we hope that this is sort of a chapter right now and the next chapter we can start to 
kind of come out from our entrepreneurial holes and start to form a better network of friends and some different rituals, but um, the businesses and, and keeping our kids safe and alive yeah. <laughs> are kind of what has been most near and dear to our hearts. And then, um, you know, finding those moments to run and ride. Something that I've gotten into actually since selling Sufferfest and kind of refiguring my new role and, and what that means for me, um, I've tried to spice up my, my, my connection with running. I, so we sort of, this conversation was sort of that commitment to running and that connection. And I kind of, I treat it like a relationship. And sometimes there's like hot and spicy moments to running. And sometimes it, it cools down and I need to figure out how to get the, the flame alive again, or I've uh, invested in time and resources in, in, in burrow racing now. So I uh, have a little donkey <laughs> and I go to my parents where it's kept and I run with, with the her, you know, twice a week and they're not long runs, but they're fun and, and they emotionally support me. And, and it's like a totally new type of running and, and it, it gives me just enough of a recharge to get back and keep working and keep parenting. Yeah. We've, we, man, the balance, like the, the handoff from, you know, the five minutes before the hour and, you know, every hour and then the like i've been i started running at night like there's no time during yeah. the day i'm not a morning person at all i've acknowledged that in myself long ago so now <laughs> i'm like strap on the headlamp and run at nine or ten o'clock at night because <laughs> i have to and that's that's okay and sometimes i'm like this is the last thing that i want to do but i will sleep better i know that i'll be a better person for it yeah so i think i actually started as, as an f minus when i wake up i'm just like give me like a vat of coffee and then i like gradually become the a plus parent towards the end of the day <laughs> and mine's the opposite so we kind of meet somewhere in the middle so for any parents out there just keep on keeping on because we're all in it together now i uh, i like to end the show the i'm curious to know show here with three questions they're the same questions every day so i'm gonna i'm gonna launch into the first one what's one thing that's changed for you and family during isolation that you want to keep once we go back to whatever is our new normal okay every saturday we take a morning walk as a family that's been awesome and every night, my husband and I put down our laptops and we play a round of Bananagrams, which is Speed Scrabble. They're become like my bookends to my day and something that I hope that we keep and I've cherished that time. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> Second question, what's one thing that you thought was important before that you're happy to leave in the past? We have been renting a home actually um, to be near my parents up here and help them with their groceries and cooking and stuff. And we didn't really know what we were doing. We just sort of rented a place quickly and packed one, one duffel bag, basically um, each, just a couple of things. And we haven't missed a single thing at home. All the things that you accumulate in the mm. clothes. And I basically have running shoes, shorts and a t-shirt and a beanie and I'm, I've been happy. <laughs> so just generally just things and how much things that I think we need that we think we need, we don't. The clothes on my back and the family around me uh, just keeps my heart pumping. For those keeping score at home, it's basically three versus three for buying things and spending money on things you don't need. And mm. the other three people have mentioned how much they don't enjoy social media or how it's gone mm. to be so unimportant to them. So it's, it's an even split right now between those two things. So uh, I think we're all learning a lot of lessons along the way. Third question, what's been the most memorable moment you've had during isolation? I guess the first one that comes to my mind, again, we're up here in Sonoma County and we're kind of in a canyon and isolated lots of woods. The first, I don't know, it was two or three weeks ago, it was 8 p.m. and I, my 
dog started howling and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And Stu and I were looking at each other and we opened up the door and all these people that you can't see that are living in the woods and in the canyons here in Sonoma start howling. And we start howling too and banging our pots and pans um, and, you know, read about it, you know, right afterwards when it ended that this ritual that's been kind of going across the country to either relieve stress or howl for someone in the medical field that you're thinking about or someone that might be sick that you're thinking about. Every night now we go out and howl and the dog howls and the kids come out or Fran comes and howls. So that first night when, when I heard that and, and was scratching my head and now it's, it's, it's a, a nice howling moment that we do every night together. That's so cool. I love that. And I think that, you know, echoes some of the other guests who've talked about the kindness. Um, they've talked about how people are, you know, get, taking care of each other more so now and letting someone in, you know, at the front of the grocery store or, you know, not speeding to get to wherever you need to go. I think it's a, there's a lot of really amazing things that have, that have come from this, obviously a lot of bad things, but it's also, you know, been a really good time to, to practice gratitude and, and realize what is really important in our lives. Caitlin, this has been amazing. I'm so proud of you. Right. I feel like I'm like the biggest cheerleader from a distance. Absolutely. Starting this when it was just, we had no idea what we were going to be doing. So thank you yeah, for all your we, support from day one. And here we all are. We're all here a few years later, yeah. uh, being able to recall and, and relive all this. So it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Everyone go out and get some Sufferfest beer. You won't yeah. be disappointed. Go and check it out online. Check out where you can get it from your local store. And uh, Caitlin, it's been an honor. Likewise. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening and thank you to Caitlin for sharing her story. What an amazing journey and what an incredible leader. I sincerely hope you're enjoying the show. If you have any feedback, suggestions or thoughts, please go ahead and share those. I'm always happy to hear from you. Also, don't forget to stop by tomorrow for the latest episode of the I'm Curious to Know project. And if you'd like to join the daily live recordings, you can do so at the innervoice.life Facebook page, 3.30pm Eastern, every day in May. Thanks again for being here. I'm Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Podcast. Thank you.